night has ended and the storms come no more. Let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore. In that land where the tempest never comes, Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes That's a good song, isn't it? Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles again, turn over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. We'll kick things off by taking just a moment and kind of summarizing what we've been addressing over the last few weeks, and then we'll kick off some new material again. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. We'll start there. We'll actually touch on this a little bit more tonight as we move along, but Chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, the Bible simply says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You know, as believers, we already discussed this. We talked about it already to some degree, and we'll again address it even a little bit more tonight. But our old man is crucified with Jesus Christ. And that means that we're no longer bound by sin. That means that the old man being crucified, that we're, we're no longer held hostage to sin, that we can overcome sin, we can be victorious over sin. And that's a wonderful truth. And yet, on the flip side of that, we still have to deal with this old flesh. Over in Romans, again, chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Again, on one hand, the old man has been crucified. That's a reality. It's a truth. But on the other hand, we need to be extremely diligent to resist this old flesh of ours. We have to purposely yield our members or our body parts as instruments of righteousness. As we said in our study on Sunday mornings a few weeks ago and throughout the month, really, we said how we have to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy except one to God, which is a reasonable service. We literally have to lay our bodies on an altar. And although we've been saved and our sin has been forgiven, although we have been crucified with Christ and the old man is dead, the reality is the flesh still wants to crawl off that altar all the time. And that's a constant battle that we face. And so we said we have the flesh, physical, sinful, in the image of Adam, the likeness of Adam, if you will. And then on the other hand, we have the spirit, which is spiritual, perfect, and in God's image. And so there's a battle that rages on a regular basis. It's a constant battle. 
And whether you're young or you're old, it doesn't really matter. The fact is, is it rages. And, you know, the misnomer might be that as you get older, of course, your desires fall away. Sin isn't as a big deal. And it's no hard thing to overcome. No wonder old people are so godly. It's easier for them. Right? I mean, isn't that sometimes the mentality, the idea that we get? But anybody that's growing in wisdom and age knows that that's not the case at all, that it's still a constant battle. Now, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, as we have victory over victory, and, and then we start to see less failure in that area at times, it's because, you know, we've, we've traveled a little bit. We understand how it works. We, we see some of the pitfalls and some of the even traps that Satan sets. And as a result of that, we may say, hey, I'm a little privy to that. I get it. I'm not going down that road. It's not that it's easier. It's just that we have a little more experience and sometimes maybe if the truth be known, maybe spend even a little more time with the Lord maybe than you do when you're a little younger. And it doesn't have to be that way. You can have that kind of relationship now. And you can have victory in your life today. And uh, we're not going to say it's easy for anyone. It's tough for everyone to live the Christian life the way God intended it to be lived, at least in this flesh and in this world we live. Somebody that tells you it's easy to be a Christian in the sense that there's no battles is off their rocker. But on the other hand, it shouldn't be as tough as we make it a lot of times either, should it? Boy, do we make it tough sometimes. So, there's a battle raging. And we asked the question uh, a while back, what is sin? And we just simply said, sin is breaking God's law. Sin is any, any unrighteousness at all. Sin is anything done apart from faith. Because we learned that if it's not a faith, it's sin. And then we asked the question, why do I sin? And that's a good question. Well, we said, first of all, you're, you sin because you've inherited a sinful nature from Adam. And then we said, you sin because your old nature draws you into sin. And finally, we noted, we sin as a result of temptation in three major areas that are outlined in 1 John chapter 2. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The devil knows right where to attack us, how to attack us. He's been at it a long time. He has an arsenal, if you will, a tool bag full of things that are just going to try to get us sidetracked and off course. Boy, he knows exactly how to push our buttons. Then we said, well, all right, how does, my, how does God look at my sin? How does he look at it? Well, this one was a little bit different, but we said your sin was judged by God at Calvary. Well, that's a wonderful truth, isn't it? I mean, the wrath of God against sin was unleashed in full force at Calvary. I mean, we said in one sense, sin is not forgiven. It must be judged. And boy, was it ever judged on Calvary. Your sin requires death, and my sin requires death, and Jesus Christ was judged on Calvary for my sin. He paid my penalty, and He paid yours too. He said your sin was judged by God at Calvary. Number two, we said if you continue in sin, God will chasten you as a father chastens his son. And then three, we touched on it. We did not get a chance to spend time on it, but we said God will allow you to reap according to what you have so, boy, that principle of reaping and sowing. Uh, we sow to the 
spirit, we reap everlasting life. We sow to the flesh. It's not good, is it? And it's a principle that we have to always remember is in force all the time. It's as in force today as it was a thousand years ago. It's as in force today as the law of gravity is. I could walk off the end of the stage and although I float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, the fact is I would fall flat on my face because of gravity. There's a law of gravity. And the truth is there's a law of reaping and sowing and it is just as enforced as any other physical law. So we arrive now at the next question. And this question goes like this. What things can I do to overcome sin? Now, there's the million-dollar question, right? I mean, let's face it, in all of our lives as believers, I think every one of us, if we're serious about our walk with God at least, we, we want to overcome sin in our life. We want to be victorious. Now, I think in all reality and sometimes in all honesty, there's some things in our lives that maybe we're really not concerned about that we ought to be. And, and I'm, I'm not pointing just at you. I, I'm telling you, if we're not careful, there are things that we know are disobedient that don't line up 100% with God, His Word, and the principles and the standard that He has set for us. And in a sense, we say things like in our mind, well, everybody has their sin. Everybody struggles with it. I'm no different than anybody else. And so we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to dismiss our sin or to even justify it. It's a dangerous place to be, really. It's a dangerous place to be when you consider that the Lord Jesus Christ could come at any moment. It's a dangerous place to be, realizing that it could be any moment we take our last breath. It's a dangerous place to be when we recognize and realize that we could be meeting the Lord Jesus face to face at any moment. So, Let's ask the million-dollar question. What things can I do to overcome sin? A great question. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll answer that. Or at least do our best to do so. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. Thank you again, Lord, for the privilege that we have to gather here. And Lord, in these next few moments, may our hearts be encouraged and stirred. And may we, Father, learn something that will help us to, well, be a better believer, a better Christian to have a better walk and relationship with you, to remove sin in our life that would stand between us and you. Lord, we need you. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what things can I do to overcome sin? Number one, um, you must accept responsibility for your sin. Again, I know we've, you've heard this. You say, ah, oh, man, I heard this a million times. I know. But it's in the outline. You've got to just be patient, all right? All right, it's there, okay? It's, it's part, of the, part of the course, all right? And so, you've got to accept responsibility for your sin. Now, again, this may seem like a simple thing to do, but as I said earlier, if we're not careful, we honestly can find ourselves dismissing our sin. We, we can be, you know, guilty of, you know, trying to even justify it. See, when it's said and done, when the, when the Bible gets down to where the rubber meets the road, basically, without question, I mean, it's, you cannot say it any other way than this. You sin, wait, wait, 
Your sin is your own fault. It's as simple as it is. My sin is my own fault. It's, all be, it's my own fault for sinning. And someone says, I know, but God made me this way. No, you forgot. He didn't. He, he made you the way you were. Yeah, you were born in sin. But may I say, he made you the way you are now. A new creature in Christ. So you be careful with that. Well, he made me the way. He did. He, 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 you were regenerated. You were brought from death to life. Old things, have be, old things have, are gone away. Behold, all things have become new. I mean, you're a new creature. And so am I. And you know, you and I will never correct anything until we face up to responsibility. So it's important to realize that sin is a choice. It's a decision we make. Most people say, you know, the devil made me do it. I can't help it. I'm weak. But you are strong. And when I'm as strong as you, then I'll be strong. But that's not true. You have him living in you. I have him living in me. If I sin, it's because I choose to sin now. Where once I could not help but sin, now it's my decision. It's my choice. Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Turn there if you would, please. You should be in that general vicinity already. But before salvation, a person has no choice at all. All they can do is sin. And in the flesh... You can't know, you can't please, you can't obey God. You can't do that in the flesh. But now you can. See, the sinner on the one hand has got bad blood running through their veins. Wicked, sinful blood. We've got the blood of, of our, our, our father Adam, that Adamic nature running through us. But after salvation, everything's reversed. Everything's different. The believer no longer has to sin then. We choose to sin. And that is a real revelation in most people's minds. To come to the reality and understanding that when they sin, it is totally, completely, without question, their choice. He said, but you don't realize how much pressure was put on me. You had a decision to make. You don't realize how hard it is in the environment that I live to be victorious in my Christian life and to obey the Lord. You don't get it. I don't have to get it. The fact is, you got to get it. The truth is, is that you are no longer who you used to be. Therefore, the only power within you that's holding you back is you. Because you have the power of the Holy Spirit. you got the, 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 the new man in you now. You're a new creature, and so am I. We have to learn to take responsibility. So the new nature enables us to know, obey, and please God. And as a result of that, sin was normal before salvation. Now sin is abnormal. Sin's abnormal now. It's not normal for a Christian to sin. Now listen, someone says, ah, no, that's not true because I look all around me and I see Christians sinning constantly and constantly, constantly sinning. That's because that's your visual experience. But that's not the biblical truth. See, that's because we walk by sight, not by faith. We bought into the very lie that Satan wants us to believe, that we are bound by sin still, even though we are free. As long as you believe that you have no choice, as long as you feel somehow that you're just, well, under its spell, its control, 
then my friend, you will never get victory in your Christian life over sin. You will constantly make excuses for your behavior and actions and attitudes. And it is a sad place to be in our Christian lives when we are so self-centered, so whiny, cry, little baby Christians that we can't find the, the gumption and the, uh, the honesty within to say, it is all my fault. Because when we say it's anyone else's fault but ours, we're pointing to him and saying it's yours. That's really what we're doing. If I, ha- if I can't help but sin, then God, where have you gone wrong? It's up to you, right? No, you and I as believers needn't sin anymore. It is a choice we make. Romans 6, 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I mean, when's the last time you read that and really stopped to think, wow, what's he saying there? I mean, how shall we that are dead to sin? Are you dead to sin? You say, well, I think so. I still sin. Yeah, but let me ask you this. Judicially, or say, practically speaking, from a biblical perspective, did you die with Christ on the cross? Yes, you did. You're dead then. And by the way, dead men don't sin. We'll hear that one in just a few moments. So, when a Christian sins, it's an act of choice of the will. Remember, we talked about that already, didn't we? What do we have? We've got this whole flesh dwelling among us, right? This old flesh. Then we got that old, that, that old Satan, you know. He comes around with that temptation. He casts it in front of us. And what did we say makes it all come together? The will. Our wills. And therefore, see, no one can make you sin but you. And no one can make me sin now but me. So, Proverbs 28, 13 says, and this is important, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We cannot dismiss sin then. We cannot justify sin. We can't just say, you know, that's how I am. Well, yeah, that's how we all are in this flesh. But we are, as he said, dead to sin now. Okay, we'll, we'll get to some more here in just a moment. So first of all, you have to accept responsibility for your sin. Until you do that, you'll never overcome sin in your life. You'll never have victory. You'll forever fall back on this idea that, well, everybody's in the same boat. We're all just a bunch of sinners. Can't help but sin anyway. Hold on. This is the problem. You can, we just don't. We just don't. Think about it. How helpless are we then if we can't help it? So, I mean, how helpless can we be? Wow, let's see. Maybe I could be as helpless as, well, I'll just go ahead. I can't help it. I'll be a drunkard. And I can't help it, so why will you hold that against me? I, I can't help it. I just can't stay faithful to my wife. I just, I can't help it. 
So why are you holding that against me? If I can't help it. Think about any heinous crime you like to think about. Especially as a believer now. I'm talking about as believers. What, we give everybody a pass? And and listen, don't think it's not happening in Christianity today. Because that's exactly what's happening in Christianity. We're going around here today and we're saying, you know what? It's all right, brother. You know, we don't expect any more out of you than God does. And, and we know God knows you're just a sinner, saved by grace, and we're going to trust that too. So you know what? All right. So maybe you do have a problem with drinking. Maybe you don't act right, talk right in public. But as long as you're a good singer, you can stand on stage and sing, and you can do your stuff. Because you know what? We're not going to hold that against you, that you can't get victory over your life, that you're not separated under, the wor- under Christ from the world. That's all right, because we're all struggling, brother, and none of us can do any better than the next. Whatever happened to the Bible? Where he says, to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Where's it, where's it in the Bible that where, he just said, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You know why you should expect me to live the way I live? Because the Bible says I ought to. But hold on, it says that you ought to live a certain way too. We have the ability. We have to take responsibility. We have to take responsibility. Maybe you know a young person or a a, a child even that's a drug addict or possibly messed up in drugs or involved in immorality and they give you that excuse all the time, I can't help it. How long does that one work? What, a year? Two or three rehabs? Four or five times they've stolen from your house? At what point do you finally say, listen, it's time for you to grow up and take responsibility for your actions? When does that happen? Unfortunately, today, in some situations, it never happens. And in the world we live, we're trying to train us to say no one's responsible for anything. But let me tell you something, as a believer, God outlines our responsibility. And I can tell you this, he does not look at our sin and go, well, it's all right, I understand. He doesn't. Is he patient with us? Yes. Is he long-suffering? Without a doubt. Does he continue to extend grace? Thank God. But let me tell you something, we better get the right spirit and attitude, and it's found in Romans chapter 6. Again, we need that. I don't need somebody telling me that I can sin. I can do that easily enough. I need somebody telling me I don't have to sin. And that's what the Word of God says, and that's what a preacher ought to be saying. Man, let's get right with God. We can. That's a wonderful thing. Number two, don't allow sinful thoughts to control your mind. What things can I do to overcome sin? Well, you've got to accept responsibility for sin. But number two, don't allow sinful thoughts to control your mind. Now, this is a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, let's face it. You know, when you're really going to get down to the nitty-gritty, the battle's fought in the mind, by the way. You know, long before it ever reaches these extremities, it has already been handled here. This is where the battle takes place. And God understands that. Look, if you would, over the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. We'll, we'll look, read 3 through 5, but we're going to focus our attention on verse 5 tonight. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. That carnal meaning fleshly. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Look at verse 5 now. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now again, we're trying to get victory over sin. We're trying to overcome sin in our life. Well, one of the major areas, obviously, is going to be the mind then. And God addresses that through the Apostle Paul here in the book of 2 Corinthians. He's very clear. It's very simple to understand. We're in a warfare. We're in a battle. We get that. And that's what the Bible's teaching. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And so what we see here in the passage is that there's this battle taking place. Now, what's going on? What do we need to do? He says, listen, that battle, that battle is fought right here. Everything you've ever done first started here. And everything you ever do starts here. And if there's something that is corrupt and wicked, it's here. You want to know why? Because the mind and the heart are tied. They're like that. You can't, in the Bible, you can't separate them in that regard. They're, they're tied. When a man talks about, he says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What's he saying? As he thinketh in his heart, what's that supposed to mean? That means when you think about your heart and your head, they're tied together. I'm struggling in my heart. You got a mind problem. You got a mind problem. I just can't get this lust or this sin out of my heart. No, you can't get it out of your mind. It's here. This is where the battle's being fought. Do you know, really, in reality, your heart is just an organ, it just pumps blood. This is where you are. Now, there's some people you could remove that and they'd still function like normal. But most people, if you remove this, it'd be over, okay? Most. All right. Casting down imaginations, then, he says, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we need to cast down certain thoughts. Now, when we look at that, it says casting down imaginations. And when the apostle speaks of casting down imaginations, he's kind of referring basically to worldly, deceptive, kind of anti-God thoughts, okay? And these thoughts, if, if, we're, if we look at them from a biblical perspective and even really in a very practical sense, they provide us with a defense against what we would call divine, d- divinely... Um, not div- divinely revealed truth. That's the word I'm looking for. See, God reveals truth to us. It's divinely revealed in the Word of God. What we do, if we're not careful, is we allow certain thoughts then to, to rise up in our minds, imaginations to, in a sense, kind of provide us a defense against His Word. Well, that's a problem. At least in our own minds, we think that this, we have our own reasons. They're, they're deceptive thoughts that Satan puts there. They're anti-God thoughts. They're worldly thoughts. And we somehow embrace those thoughts, and we somehow think maybe, just maybe, well, this is why I can't 
this, or this is why I don't that, and this is why God is... And and he's saying, wait a second, you're going to have to cast down some of those imaginations. You've got to cast them down. You can't permit any thought in your mind that creates a barrier to the truth. And certain barriers, I'm talking about like human philosophies and anti-biblical scientific theories. Think about evolution. People build these things up in their minds. And then they stand as a, a monument against God. Think about man-made religion. Those are conceived in the minds of men. Those need to be torn down. Torn down, ripped down, shredded up. They raise objections to biblical truth. They fortify belief systems that promote independence from God, not dependence upon Him. Hey, listen, you got an idea in your mind that keeps you from going to prayer like you ought to? Then you need to cast down some imaginations. That's what he's saying. So cast down these thoughts. Don't permit them to stand in your mind. Tear them down. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And he says also, bringing into captivity. Not only do we need to cast down certain thoughts, but we need to corral certain thoughts. Got to corral them. Don't allow your thoughts to run wild. Rein them in. See, unscriptural thoughts can penetrate our minds at any time. It's not like you have to be concentrating on wickedness. It's not like you have to focus on being bad. You just, you're going down the road and something just... I mean, if you, I don't know if you've ever had it. I mean, you're driving down the street and somebody cuts you off and... Bad thoughts. You're driving down the road or you're walking down the street and you see a billboard and... Temptation, bad thoughts, possibly. What are you going to do with them? See, temptation isn't the problem. The problem is what do we do with it? And it all starts here. And he's saying to us right now, he's saying, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then he goes on to say, and bringing into captivity. You're going to have to corral some thoughts from time to time. You, You don't want them to, they're going to penetrate the mind, yes. But we can't allow them to continue to run wild in our brains. There's got to be a conscious effort made to corral those thoughts, to take them captive, to bind them and put them in check. You've got to consciously do that and say, no, I'm not thinking about that. I'm not going to allow those to run wild in my mind. I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to, I'm going to corral those thoughts and I'm not going to permit them to influence my thinking or my actions. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves ruled by those unscriptural, unholy and ungodly thoughts. Pretty soon, they will rule us. But then not only that, but he also goes on to say, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So now, not only do we have to cast down certain thoughts, corral certain thoughts, but we need to correct some thoughts. 
So now we've got these thoughts that are wrong that we've corralled. And if we're not careful, we may not be thinking about them all the time. But we've got to figure out why is it that I'm susceptible to those thoughts? Why is it that they have a, a pull on my life? What is it about my thinking that opens me up to these kind of thoughts? I've got to change the way I think. I've got to change what I think about. I've got to correct my thinking somehow. So we've corralled the thoughts that oppose God or oppose His Word. But now... It has to continue. Those thoughts that oppose and stand as barriers to divine, divinely revealed truth must not only be brought into captivity, they've got to be brought into obedience to Christ now. We've got to correct our thinking. And we've got to correct it in a biblical fashion. We have to have a biblical worldview, we'll say, rather than just a simple worldview. A biblical worldview. We have to see things the way God sees it. We have to allow the mind of Christ to rule and reign in our hearts, not simply our mind. And let's face it, we have a lot of wrong thinking. We, you know, if we're not careful, we get the idea we have a right to feel this way. We have a right to think this way. We have a right to... to well, where did you get that from? Where did you get that thinking? Show me verse and point where you have a right to think the way you think, or the way you feel, the way you feel, or the way you look at a certain subject, or person, or situation. You have to ask my, yourself, I have to ask myself, where do I have a right to think the way I think? Am I right in my thinking? Am I wrong in my thinking? And if I'm wrong, then I need to correct it. I need to bring it into captivity. I can't let it run rampant in my life like probably it already is. I have to say no to myself, Pull it in and then say, now, i got to deal with this. And cast it out. Tear it down. Throw it away. And allow yourself to gravitate to God's perspective, His mind, His thought. It's, it's, it's not easy at times to, to find that place where we're permitting God to put His finger on things. Because, see, that doesn't come with five minutes of prayer a day. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying, if we don't love the Word of God the way we ought to love the Word, to where we actually want to be in it, enjoy being in it, and don't stop with simply reading it, but want to study it, understand it, and grow in it. And if we're in a place where we haven't come to the place where, where prayer is more than just, I got this prayer list, and, and I'm ripping off the names, and I'm doing my duty. And that's where it's... If, if prayer is not literally the desire to enter into the very presence of God Himself, to just simply spend some time with not only my Creator, but my Savior and Lord, not just to cry out, what do I need, and what do I want, and what can you do for me today, but Lord, I just want to be in Your presence. Until we get there you're going to think your thoughts are spot on. You're going to think the way you feel is right. You're going to feel justified in your thinking. And sometimes it will not be biblical. Because no one's opposing it. Because I'm going to tell you this. For the most part, your wife, your neighbor, your friend, your co-worker, your buddy at church even, is no more spiritual than you. 
And God is the only one that can show us those things, really. Because most of us, even if somebody was a little more spiritual, even if somebody did recognize a problem, most of them don't have the guts to be willing to lose a friendship over trying to help a friend. I'd rather just not rock the boat. I know what they're thinking is wrong. I know what they feel is wrong. I know that they're not biblical and scriptural in this area, but I'm just not going. Plus, I know that they could point at some areas in my life that I'm not right either. So what do we do? We clam up. And all of us go around thinking what we're doing is okay, because if it wasn't, I'm sure somebody would tell me. But then again, remember, most people probably wouldn't want to tell you because they're afraid of how you'd respond to them. When's the last time you told somebody something critical or negative that you prayed about for a month before you approached them? Not just you decided, oh, I saw how Brother So-and-so looked at something. I didn't like it. I'm going to tell him. I'm talking about you went home and prayed about it for a month and said, Lord, I want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding what's going on here. I want to make sure I'm not reading into what's not there. I'm going to make sure that I'm invested in this a little bit. I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to try to see if I can help somebody. And then after a month, if I think there's still a problem, I might approach them then if you give me leadership. You do that, and you've just gotten your head ripped off. You ever done that? I have. Makes you a little gun shy. You find yourself not wanting to talk to people because you feel like you've got to walk on eggshells around them because you're so afraid that they're going to blow up when you tell them the truth. And it's usually about attitudes. It's not about actions that the problems. It's about their thinking. It's thinking that's causing our problems in our marriages. It's thinking that's causing problems in our homes. It's thinking that's wrecking our relationships. It's thinking that destroys the church. It's not what is usually that's the problem. It's what people think is. It's amazing how much bad thinking there is. And all along, we go around feeling like we know what we're thinking. And it's right. Because I feel that way. The question is, if you really want to deal with your sin, then you're going to have to take responsibility for your sin. And then you have to be willing to address the mind. You cannot allow thoughts, sinful thoughts, to run rampant. But you'll never know they're sinful until you spend a little time in His Word. You've got to spend time in the book. You've got to spend time on your knees in the presence of the Lord. What do you want out of your Christian life? I think you're here tonight because you want more than just mediocrity. I mean, I, I understand we're all at different stages and we're all different places and we're all struggling and we're all working hard to go the right direction. And listen, the battle's going to be there and we ought to be patient with one another and love one another and encourage one another and help one another. And that, that ought to be a given. Should never be anyone's desire to hurt someone or to somehow put them in their place. I don't want to put people in their place. God's big enough to do that. But sometimes we need to encourage one another. But, but we've got to get in the book. Before you tell somebody that they have a problem with their thinking, make sure you've got a verse that will show them it's wrong. Don't just go, I just feel like you've got some problems with your thinking. Why? 
Well, I just don't, I just, you know, you're thinking that way. I, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. And Who cares? Is it right or wrong? Is it biblical or isn't it? I mean, really, get down to it. Let's, let's get some authority behind our, 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 our concerns. Let's find out where the Bible says we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't think that. And in our own lives, let's let that be the case. So, I want to encourage you, and I, I know in my own life, this is, this is an area that I struggle with. This mind thing, it's the battle, man. It's where the war's fought. I think things I would never say. How about you? You know what that means? That's where the battle is. Oh, I think things I would never do. Wow. Can't keep thinking that way. Because sooner or later, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Therefore, if we don't address this, it's going to affect this. Amen. We just got to be careful. So what things can I do to overcome sin? Accept responsibility for it. And then just don't allow sinful thoughts to control your mind. If you know something's wrong and you're thinking it and it's wrong, stop thinking it and then cast it down, cast it out. And man, just go ahead and change that thinking. Find out how God wants you to think. And then say, I'm with, your, with your help, God, that's how I'm thinking. I do not want this to rule me anymore. I want you to rule me. Your word and your spirit to direct me and lead me, not my flesh. But I'll tell you what, we'll all be better off in the end if we would do that. Me, you, all of us today. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for just the simple.